my very best to get this job that I so crave. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Fan Zone Debate. I am not Tim the Hulk Bacala. Uh, Tim has some important real life stuff going on tonight, so I am filling in. Uh, I'm Kirk Kolkowski, and I am filling in for Tim tonight as uh, host and uh, one of the judges. Uh, joining me, two familiar faces uh, across from me here. We have uh, somebody who's no stranger to debate, uh, has had some very uh, strong success throughout the uh, seasons. Uh, it's Brooklyn Fell. Brooklyn, how are you tonight? Uh, I'm doing good. Uh, yeah, uh, Tim. Tim asked me to hop on, and I always, always love doing it. Uh, Joe versus Mike should be very fun. Um, I've gotten to debate against Joe before in like the blockbuster branch of the universe, and uh, and Mike, Mike is probably the best at creating something from nothing and making that making that like very valuable. So I'm uh, so I'm I'm curious to see how this match goes. Absolutely. And uh, also joining us, uh, somebody who's been here for a lot of these matches this season, one of our uh, new regular judges, Brian. Uh, Brian, what are your thoughts going into this match tonight? I'm looking forward to this one um, because as Brooklyn touched on, if nothing else, uh, Mike is definitely a different kind of debater. He'll he'll bring things from out of nowhere and latch on to things that it's very hard to argue against because you half the time you don't even know where he's going with them. Um, so this, this one will be a little bit, uh, you know, different and it's going to be fun. Absolutely. Uh, so let's bring in our first contestant. Let's bring in Joe Fairley. Uh, Joe is one and two with a KO, knocked out Jacob West, uh, lost a match to Cameron Holzman's last appearance. Uh, Joe, today, you like Brian said, you're going up against Mike the Wildcard. How are you feeling about that? Yeah, it's tough because, you know, there's a lot of way, a lot of way, humor is a really good way to sell your argument. And I don't think there's anyone better at that side of it than Mike. So it's just going to be very, very, very interesting. Um, but I'm reasonably prepared. <laughs> we'll see what happens. All right. Uh, let's bring in your opponent. Uh, sit on that record of 0-1. It is Mike Hanley. Mike, um, you had a tough draw last match. You up against Cody and his big return to debate. Um, you had valiant effort. Uh, you, the, I know all three of us judges really enjoyed the match. Um, just came out and lose side of that one, but now you get a chance to redeem yourself against Joe. Uh, what are your thoughts going into the match? I'm getting knocked out, but you know it's cool because I still got the one point against Cody, which I've now lived down. Fuck you, Cody. <laughs> hey, Mike. While we're here, why don't we just do the the late late stuff? You know, I was gonna say my favorite musical moment in a non musical movie is Blazing Saddles, the, the finale. I think it's great. Let's just do that. Hell yeah. Let's just do that instead. All right, so uh, we're gonna get the match started. Uh, it's gonna be four uh, standard debate questions. Uh, each player picked two categories. Uh, we're going to go through those. They'll be uh, standard. They'll each get one-minute intro, five-minute free-form, and one minute to uh, close out. Uh, after uh, the match, if uh, no winner has been determined, uh, or after this four, the, the regulation four matches, no winner has been determined, we will go to a speed round match. Uh, so, gentlemen, are you ready? No. So, All right. Well, at least what do you are. That's 50%. That's pretty good. Uh, so we're going to go to our first question, which is, in the category of Star Wars, which I believe was picked by Joe, what is the best non-lightsaber fight scene in the prequel trilogy? Uh, Joe, you started this out. Um, or you picked this, so you are going to get to go first uh, for your one-minute opening, and your one-minute will begin when you start talking. Now, I took this, when I said fight scene, I didn't see battle. I saw fight. And Star Wars has given us many iconic battles and, and fights in the last 45 years. 
And the argument of which is best has raged on since, you know, 1980, since the Empire Strikes Back came out, and which one had the best. Um, so much so that we have to keep finding finding these little caveats to to uh, to add. So tonight, um, we're focused on the prequels and remove the lightsabers. And for me, this left only one real choice. Um, since we're talking fights and not battles, I believe the only answer is Obi-Wan, Anakin, and Padme fighting the Akle, the Reek, and the Nexu in the Petronaki Arena on Geonosis in Attack of the Clones. This is a fight that has tension and excitement and great moments for all our protagonists. And uh, one of the big criticisms of the prequels was the lack of stakes, because we sort of knew what was going to happen to these characters. And I think this is a little bit different. I think this does add stakes, despite us knowing the fates of some of the characters. All right. Uh, give a few seconds there, but good opening. You with the Geonosius uh, battle arena. Uh, Mike, your uh, one minute begins as soon as you start talking. So there were many great choices I could have picked, but you know I didn't remember any of them. So I went with R two D two versus the battle droids because R two D two fuck shit up. I'm going beep up beep up boop. You still have about uh, about forty five seconds if you'd like. It's in Revenge of the Sith. I forgot the book. Okay. <laughs> All right, short and sweet. That is, uh, so we're going to go the uh, Geonosius Arena Battle versus the Monsters, uh, and it's R2 versus the Battle Droids in Revenge of the Sith. Uh, gentlemen, you have five minutes while you start talking, uh, even back and forth to talk over each other, and we will see you in five minutes. This isn't really a fight, Mike. It's more of like a murder or a deactivation because they're droids. Um, <laughs> it's, it's over pretty quick, and the droids don't really do much fighting. They pick him up and he fucks him up, like you said. It's not really a fight. That's why it's the greatest fight, because it ends so fucking quickly. He burns them to death. In your fight, the best part of that fight is actual when the lightsabers come in towards the end, when everyone comes in with Mace Windu coming into what everyone's ass. Well, I think the fight itself, I mean, this is where you get your three sort of protagonists of the movie. I think you finally get some stakes. And that's one of the biggest criticisms of those movie prequels is that you sort of knew who was going to live and who was going to die. But in this scene, you sort of, you, you know, Anakin's still perfectly fine, got both arms, all his legs, not in a suit. You know, anything could have happened to him in that scene to put him in there. The same with Padme. You know, she gets injured. We don't know what happened to her. We know she eventually dies. Is this it? We don't know. And I think that gives us the stakes. And I think that's what you need from a good fight scene. You want, you know, your palms to be sweaty. Knees weak, arms heavy. You want all of it. It's great. See, the thing is, there would be stakes, but there isn't because of the next movie, so we know all three of them are going to survive anyways, because fuck it. In R2-D2, you know the battle droids are going to fucking die, because that's what R2-D2 does. He goes beep up, beep up, boop, and lights them on fucking fire, and then walks away like a badass. You might know that Anakin's going to be alive, but you don't know in what condition. At some point, he has to get in that suit, and I think that's where the stakes come from. See, I would think that, but then you got the third movie, so you know it's going to happen in the third movie. You ain't, you know, he ain't going to turn Darth Vader and Attack of the Clones. He's going to turn Darth Vader and Revenge of the Sith. Which, speaking of Revenge of the Sith, is where R2D2 comes in, beep up, beep up, boop, and lights him on fire, and walks away like a badass. But I think that's the point being is that we don't know in what state he's going to be in in Revenge of the Sith. I mean, twenty minutes later, he loses an arm, so he's not going to be completely fine coming into that out of that movie. You know, I think this this fight scene gives us a chance to see how the Jedi can handle a situation without their lightsabers. And for R two, you know, the same thing with Attack of the Clones did. You know, they're constantly showing us never before seen skills, which makes the battle less tense because they're just like, oh, it's going to squirt all this time. 
all the fights don't have to be tense. They could just be badass, like R2-D2, lighting them on fire and leaving them in the dust. In Attack of the Clones, you got a decent fight with them trying to fuck shit up, and then they get their ass kicked until the other Jedi come in and whoop some ass with actual lightsabers. Speaking of a regular fight, why do you need fists when you can use a machine to do your dirty work? Like R2-D2, taking out the droids, beep up, beep up, boop. I think I think that's where we differ. I think the fact that it's not a fight, I think a good fight should be tense, should give us lots of different action. And if you've got, you know, a certain amount of protagonists, in this case three, I think they should each have their moment to shine. I think they all do. So Obi-Wan gets his moment one-on-one with the Acclade, killing, you know, going for it with the spear. You have Anakin who, you know, gets on the reek and rides it. And then you've got um, uh, Padme swinging around and kicking the Nexu off off of the pillar as it's trying to get her. I think they all, everyone gets their moment to shine. Everyone gets their moment of action. It is tense because you, although you know they're going to, they might live, you still don't know what in what state they're going to be. And I think it gives it a more rounder feel than just what's basically just squirting oil and taking off, setting them on fire. I think that's where the big thing is, is that you know that they're going to survive. It doesn't matter what condition they're going to be in because you know they're going to survive to the next movie. So there's not really any big stakes there. In R2-D2, he could be lit on fire and he can come back later on, but he's still lit on fucking fire. In this one, he lights them on fire first. And that's the point I'm making with Anakin. He could lose an arm. He could. We know that at some point Vader gets a metal arm. So is this the moment where it happens? When it happens 20 minutes later. But at that point, we do not know that. And I think that's where the things... I think your choice is good comic relief, but I think there's no real fight. It is the best fight because it's so quick. It's so down. You have one movement. You have him... Doing little comic, as you said, little comedy involved. Then he lifts up, sprays him in the face, lights him on fire. He walks away like a badass. And Anakin, he's basically, basically they're running throughout it, trying to escape him. And then they come in and do what they need to do. The actual fight is pretty quick compared to the actual beginning, which is them climbing up, trying to get untied from the position that they're on. So they spend the majority of the time just trying to get untied instead of just a fight. Which is one of the moments that gives Padme her moment before the fight while she's being attacked by the next one. I think there is a little bit of inconsistency around your fight because although he does take out those battle droids pretty quickly, five minutes later he's getting booted down onto the ground by another battle droid whilst being surrounded by other droids. I think it sort of lacks the consistency of R2 being this badass that they're trying to portray him to be, whereas five minutes later he's just getting kicked down and toppling over. Well, that's why I didn't bring up that fight as the most coolest fight in the movie because he kind of gets his ass kicked there. That's why I bring up this one because he is a badass character. I think that's why I think that's where we I think that's where the tension sort of goes with the inconsistency, you sort of lose that. Time. All right. Um that was the five minute freeform. Now you will each have one minute to close and this time Mike we will start with you with your one minute closing. Tackle Clones has a decent fight, but I think the better fight of that is a couple of seconds later when the Jedi come in and you have the big battle coming on. R2-D2, the reason why it is the best fight is because it's so quick, it's so funny, and he kicks the shit out of him within 10 seconds and walks away like a badass while doing beep bop beep bop boop All right, so you can see the rest of your time? Yes. All right. Uh, Joe, then we're going to take it over to you to finish it up uh, with one minute when you finish or when you uh, start talking. 
the better fight, in your opinion, may come later, but it's one that involves lightsabers. Therefore, it can't be argued about for this. Uh, the fight in the Petronaki Arena before that, though, not only gives us a new insight into the hero's fighting styles, but also manages to give all three of our protagonists uh, something to do and their moment to shine. Once again, it's expertly scored by John Williams. Uh, and despite knowing that our heroes survive at the in the end, it still manages to be tense, as we know, at the very least, there's a chance of something happening to Anakin or Padme. The fight between R2 and the droids uh, is a fun comic relief, uh, but it's barely a fight and is over far too quickly to create any real sense of tension or any real sense of excitement. It's a fun moment, but it's not a great fight because there's no real fight. R2 wins with one move. It's over. Whereas the other fight gives everyone a moment. There is tension. There is action. And it's perfect. All right. Now we're going to go to the judges. Um, who determined the winner? Uh, well argued on both sides. Uh, Judge, everybody ready? Yeah. Okay. Um, since you lined us up this way, Brooklyn, I'll just go to you first. All right. Uh, well, um, my point goes to Joe. Um, I think Joe was kind of like he's kind of building up steam, and then probably with about four minutes left, in, four minutes left in the free form, did a really good job, like kind of hitting that final blow of that piece of like of uh, the r2d2 fight ultimately being comic relief um i appreciate mike's mike's approach of this it's a one gear it's a one gear move it's a funny one gear move uh but unfortunately just wasn't enough to uh to win me over and uh brian um yeah despite the 37 beep boop beep boops um i had to vote for joe as well um i think it just came down to the fact that as joe pointed out that there's no real fight there with the r2d2 thing it's just a fun moment um, Mike tried to argue that that's what makes it great fight is because it's quick, but I disagree. I mean, I don't want to go see, you know, John Wick and have him, you know, just kill everybody in one, one second. I want to see a cool fight. It, so yes, it's a great moment, but the better fight is the, uh, arena. All right. So Joe's going to, Joe's going to take that, <laughs> that first point. My, uh, my vote doesn't count, but I also went with Joe. Um, I think Joe made some strong points. I, I like how he talked about how this was an opportunity to see the Jedi fight when they don't have the lightsabers. What do they do? And um, also, I think Mike's argument, um, while like Brooklyn said, was strong, just like kind of chugged along. He kind of fell into Joe's argument of, well, you know, it's it's kind of one note. My fight has all three characters. All three characters are given something to do. Um, so I end up going with him. So clean sweep on the first point for Joe. Uh, but there is a lot of debate left. We're going to go to question number two right now. This one was uh, drafted by Mike. And the question is in the category of horror. And the question is, who is the coolest villain in a non-fandom horror film? Uh, Mike, since you drafted this, you will get your intro first. Uh, one minute, whenever you're on screen, and you start talking. So for the coolest villain in a non-fandom film, I went with Evil Ash from Army of Darkness. Because it's Bruce Campbell as fucking evil. You got the comedy. You got the humor, you got the comedy, you got the one-liners, you got everything you need to have a cool fucking villain do this. Bruce Campbell, hail to the king. I can see my death. All right. Leave us the time on the board there once again. Uh, we'll see how that works out for you. Joe, uh, you get your intro once again, one minute when you start talking. I think since the beginning of cinema, horror movies have always given us the most interesting, diverse and memorable villains. And for me, the coolest villains are ones that do what others don't. Ones that break the mold and don't just um, threaten our heroes, but make them threaten themselves. That's why I've chosen the creature from The Thing. To me, The Thing is the coolest villain because it's memorable, scary, stands out, it looks amazing, and 
when it's not there, its presence is still felt. And I think that's the mark of a truly cool villain, something that stays with you. And I'll concede the rest of my time. Okay, it is a dream horror matchup. Evil Ash versus The Thing. Gentlemen, five minutes, whatever. One of you starts talking. I think The Thing is a scary fucking villain. He's really fucking scary, I'll give you that. But he doesn't ooze cool. When you think of cool, you think of Bruce Campbell. And when you think of even more cool, it's Bruce Campbell as a fucking dead skeleton man. And halfway through, of him just turning into Evil Ash. With his um, uh, fucking one-liners towards Ash before he actually gets blown in the face with the shotgun, the uh, goody two-shoes moment. If you... hmm. I mean, well, firstly, I'll, I'll agree with you that Ash is cool, total badass. Evil Ash is just a douche. Doesn't have Ash's cool um, metal hand. When he first meets Ash, she acts like a ten-year-old bully, you know, with the goody two-shoes, goody two-shoes. And you know what's not cool? Sexually harassing women, like he does with Sheila. Forces himself on her. She doesn't want it. He keeps forcing herself on it. It's not cool. It's not cool. It's not. The thing, on the other hand, first of all, looks amazing. And each time, it's different. The, defibr the defibrillator scene itself is cool. It's cool. You know, you, you turn up to a thing. You say, oh, what did you do today? Oh, I, you know, I sent an army charging at a castle. What did you do? Well, I possessed a guy, and then I opened my chest up, and I spit this guy's hands off. Fuck, that's cool. It's more scary than cool. The thing isn't really a cool villain. He's a fucking scary-ass villain that goes, and Evil Ash, he turns her fucking evil, and she becomes a better character as evil than she does regular. She's more to do. She's fucking scarier. And he is fucking doing the one-liners even when he's evil, when he goes to fucking backstabber. He goes, come here, you backstabber. And 10-year-old bully, yeah, he is a 10-year-old bully, but that's what makes him fucking great is that he still hits those one-liners off. While getting, he gets shot in the face. He gets his fucking jaw ripped off, and he has to put it back together while he's trying to talk. He's the epitome of cool. He's the Bruce Campbell that the thing is a scary fucking villain. The man is terrifying, but you can change into everybody, but that doesn't mean he's cool. He doesn't screw anything that's actually cool. He's just fucking scary as shit. I don't know. They, they say cool is effortless, and I think that's what's great about the thing. That's what make, makes the thing cool, is that even when he's not there, when even when it's not there, it's being spoken about. You know, the thing doesn't even have to be there to have its presence felt. You know, it's shown in the final scene where they're just two guys one of them could be the thing we don't know it's left its mark whether it's there or not and i think without effort and i think that's what makes the thing cool again cool when i think of cool i think of the fonts hey that is fucking evil ash 100 when you think of the thing you think of them as terrifying as fucking freaky as a guy who could change into anything and fucking kill you. That's not the epitome of cool. That is the epitome of fucking terrifying. Evil Ash is more of the guy that's going to come around, give you shit, continue to give you shit, give you the A's, then kick your ass while he's doing it, including the sword fight where he kills his own guy, because that's anything that's going to be cool, he's going to kill his own fucking guy. Now that is cool. I mean, yeah, he commands an army of skeletons, which is pretty metal, but he's doing it all to get a book back, which, you know, kind of nerdy. Hey, reading is cool. But, you know, th th yeah, this is the 80s. 
sorry, the night. This is the early nineties we're talking about. You know, this is you know the what a nerd era, and I think this is where you have the issues because you can't really quite cool. I mean, I agree. I think Ash is cool, and I think Bruce Campbell is cool, but I think Evil Ash is a douche, a bully, a fiend, and I think that's that's just not cool. If Evil Ash was your friend, you'd take him to one side and you'd say, you know. Not cool at several points in the movie. Not cool. Whereas if the thing was your friend, you'd kick back and reminisce like, dude, you just turned a guy's chest into a mouth. <laughs> you described Evil Ash as metal, which in other words would mean fucking cool. Badass, cool. That's what fucking Evil Ash does is he's fucking cool. And he makes reading cool because he's trying to get the fucking book back. So he gets everyone to go after the book because even regular Ash has to go against the book. You know why? Because reading is cool. Commanding an army of skeletons. That's the only bit I send as metal. I think the rest of it is uh, very, um, very, you know, it's not cool. I just think it's not cool. I think going after a book is not cool. I think the way he treats Sheila is very, very, very not cool. Whereas the thing, it just, it, it's going to be a dog. It wants to be loved. And then it doesn't want to be a dog anymore. It's like, do you know what? It's, it's going to go on trend. And unfortunately, sometimes that's what cool is. It's sticking with the trend. It's like, Norwegians were cool. I'll be a Norwegian for a bit. Oh, dogs are cool. I'm going to be a dog now. Oh, sorry. All right. That was a great argument. Um, some very different interpretations there. Uh, we'll <laughs> talk about that uh, when we get to the judging. But that uh, great so far. We're going to get our closings now. And uh, this is Mike's topic, so Joe, you will close first. One minute whenever you start talking. The Thing is the coolest villain because it's effortless in making its presence felt. It looks cool, always reinventing itself to stay on trend. Evil Ash is the op opposite of Ash, and Ash is cool. Evil Ash acts like a bully, harasses women, and does not stay cool under pressure. He is the opposite of cool. No matter which definition of cool you use, whether it's the badass definition or the stays calm under pressure definition, Evil Ash meets none of these. The thing, on the other hand, remains a badass, looks awesome, and doesn't panic. But I think the real key thing here is Evil Ash acts like a bully, acts like a 10-year-old bully. And not only that, it's not cool the way he treats women. And I think that is the epitome of uncool, whereas the thing stays calm, stays on trend. Cool. All right. Going to go to Mike now for your closing. One minute whenever you start talking. As you just described Ash as cool, Ash also harasses women. So harassment is then cool in your interpretation of that. So evil Ash is still cool. He has the one-liners. He has everything he needs. The thing is just a scary fucking villain. You're not, no one's going around going, he's cool. They're not going up to him, hey man, hey, no. He's fucking just terrorizing you and killing you. Evil Ash, he gives you the one liners. You can go get a drink with the man because the man is fucking terrifying, but he's also funny as shit. So, hey, you want to grab a drink with him? Awesome. And reading is fucking cool. I can see my time. All right. Uh, gonna go to the judges now. This one was <laughs> tough. I don't want to you guys, but I thought... Before, just before we do the judging, I want to thank Mike Hicks. I'd actually never seen Army of Darkness before this, so thank I you. I forgot why you watched it. I just thought you watched it and went, hey, Mike likes fucking Ash, though. So... I've, oh, I've, I've been meaning to. I've been meaning to watch it, and then you put it in, I was like, okay, this is like a good a reason as any. Okay, judges, everybody ready? I guess. Sure. All right. Yeah, this was a really, really close match. I, I think all three judges will agree. 
Um, and it's tough for us because you, you both came at it with different definitions of cool. Um, so the only thing I could do there was at that point is who made the best argument for their definition of cool. And it was super close, but I did go with Joe um, just because I think I liked what Joe said about how cool is effortless and how the thing doesn't pull out of effort and how people talk about it when he's not even there. Um, I thought that was a really good interpretation of cool. Uh, and I think he did enough to poke holes enough holes in mike's uh definition of evil ash being cool um so again it was super close but i had to latch onto something that's what i latched onto uh so my point goes to joe uh brooklyn will go to you next um all right this is where we split i i went with mike um i thought i thought mike was gonna get his ass pounded into him when a certain point was brought up um and as much as I don't agree with that character, I thought it, I thought he did a really good job trying to spin it. Whenever you at the closing, whenever he's like, "Well, Ash is like, like Ash also does that." And you just said that, so um, yeah, Mike, uh, Mike coming in, Mike coming in on closing rounds to uh, to get my point. All right, split decision so far. Uh, Brian, you're gonna break the tie. Who'd you go with? Yeah, so it like you said, it came down to the definition of cool, which were very different from both of them. Um, they both supported their arguments very well. Uh, for me, though, I also went with Joe. Um, I just think that while uh, he did a good job of explaining, you know, why why uh, the creature from the thing is cool, because just the way the cool ways he come, the creative ways to kill people, things like that. Um, with, with Mike's argument, I, I think the hero of Ash is super cool. Just the evil version of that, I don't think makes him extra cool though. So I, I, I just that tipped it for me. I gave it to Joe. All right, so with the split decision, Joe does take that second point. So now we'll move on to point number three, and uh, Mike does need to hit this one to move on. Uh, so this is question number three, drafted by Joe. In the category of comedy, what is the dumbest, dumbest plot in a 2010s comedy? So we are going to go to Joe to start us off with your opening. One minute whenever you start talking. Comedy is always subjective. Uh, sometimes you need a simple plot or a ridiculous plot to make the comedy work. But other times the plot doesn't work and the comedy doesn't work. Sometimes um, the plot is just too dumb to suspend the disbelief for. Uh, I've chosen uh, Movie 43 as the comedy movie that has the dumbest plot. First of all, you may say there isn't much of a plot to begin with. Uh, there is, in fact, two. Because the framing device for each story is different in the US than it is for international audiences. The US, you get a deranged Dennis Quaid pitching each segment or as a different movie um, he's trying to sell. The version I first saw in cinemas, embarrassingly, has three kids searching the internet for the most dangerous movie ever made, leading to the end of the world. We could also dive into the plot of each sketch, which is you know equally as dumb. But this movie's plot was so dumb it couldn't even settle on one dumb plot. It knew it wouldn't work, so they had two different plots. Like, oh, maybe see the movie twice because we've got two different plots. That's how dumb it is. All right. I'll bring Mike in for your opening. And once again, you get one minute when you start talking. For dumb plot of a comedy of 2010s, I went with the Emoji Movie because it's just your everyday black sheep movie black sheep wants to become a normal this one fucking emoji wants to become a normal emoji they're not even fucking normal to begin with so it makes no goddamn sense it's dumb as shit i can see my time 
All right, Mike, stick with the theme of keeping it short and sweet. Uh, we will go to the five-minute free-form debate. Uh, five minutes, whenever you start talking. I mean, yes, your movie is about emojis. Um, and the story may be poorly executed, but the actual plot itself, you know, feeling out of place, trying to belong, trying to be seen as normal. Animated movies have been doing this for years and will continue to do so. They have been doing it for years better. And that's why the emoji movie fails because it takes a an idea that's actually a good idea but the plot of this is fucking emojis and emojis are fucking stupid in movie 43 you have an actually interesting plot yeah is it done incorrectly when you actually watch the movie yes but the plot itself is actually very interesting actually very unique including a guy named captain pirate bitch did a similar thing his was actually worse than movie 43 but still I mean, it may be unique, but you know, it's still it's still dumb. The version I saw, let's go with that one first. The three teens plot is ridiculously stupid. You know, there are they are trying to find a movie, and if they watch this movie, the world could end. And there's gangsters that try and force the kids to give them the movie that they are searching for on the internet. They are looking on the internet for a movie, and gangsters tell them to give them the movie instead of just going onto the internet and finding it. It, the plot makes no sense. Your plot itself, at its heart, is still about character trying to find their place and trying to be seen as normal when they're a fish out of water. They may have done it with emojis, but emojis were big. Everyone was using emojis. Let's just throw some emojis in it. The idea behind the movie is bad, but the plot itself, at its heart, is a story, is a universal story that's being told and will continue to be told. Having a movie where kids are trying to find a fucking movie in Yankton? Guess what is going to be an interesting plot for this community? A movie about kids watching movies. And that's exactly what this movie does. It's a movie about watching movies. Who doesn't fucking like that? It's an interesting fucking concept. And adding gangsters in there adds that little tidbit you need to change it up a little bit to make it more interesting. So it furthers the plot along. It furthers the plot. It's a framing device for an extra long sketch show, and it doesn't work. You say it's perfect people in this community. You go onto Letterboxd right now and type in movie 43. If there is anyone that's given it more than one star i will be very very surprised because it's dumb it doesn't work the, the dennis quaid stuff as well it's it's just him shouting ideas at people it's it's not only dumb it's lazy and i think that's where the issue comes from but if we're going to go that route the emoji movie is actually rated lower than movie 43 in this community and in rotten tomatoes so if we're going through talking like that that emoji movie is the dumbest movie out of bunch emoji movie has a plot it's been done a lot better. They didn't do anything to change it up. They didn't do anything to be, make it different. Movie 43, shot at shot at a different style, making two different plots for two different movies, which is even more interesting. And it works for that type of story. It's making stupid sketch shows. Yeah, you're going to need an interesting plot to further that along, which they did with the gangster. I think the issue here, what really comes down to is, is dumbest. I think we can both agree that they're both lazy plots. Yes both lazy about it one's a lazy framing device one is let's take something popular and put it into a plot that's been done to death and i think that's the difference the plot itself of the emoji movie isn't done because it's a movie it's something that has been proven to be successful over and over again in but done in better ways where i think the emoji movie it tried to do so much and it tried to be so and it knew that it was so dumb that the only way it would actually get butts in seats or dvd sales was to change the plot up but both times the plot is still dumb there are things that happen throughout 
the movie that make it even more dumb. Like I said, gangsters try and break into a house to show get people to show steal something that's already on the internet. That's the dumb part. That's the dumb part. Is the world ends because they watch the movie. It makes that makes no sense. Uh, but a character going out into the big wide world and trying to find themselves is not a dumb plot. It's universal. It's been done. And it's been done. It is a dumb plot because uh, bullet emoji movie because it takes an interesting concept and puts fucking emojis in it, which is the dumbest thing you can do. Even fucking kids hated the idea of fucking emojis in a movie because nobody went to go fucking see it. Movie forty three, people went to go see it because it had an interesting take on the sketch show variety in both versions, and it executed the actual movie executed poorly, but the actual idea of the plot was interesting and um, uh, smart. The way they went back. It's not, just, but it's not necessarily just the plot of the framing device as well. You see some of the sketches in there. You know, you've got Elizabeth Banks with a sexually fiendish uh, animated cat. You have um, um, Sean William Scott capturing a leprechaun. It's the whole thing. Just each story is dumb, and the framing device is dumb. Okay, uh, we'll go now to closing arguments. Uh, Joe, since you're yours, uh, Mike, you will go first. One minute, we start talking. You brought up Sean Willem Scott going after Leprechaun, which is actually an interesting fucking idea. That would that would put me in a fucking seat watching that. Emoji movie, you have fucking emojis walking around trying to find yourself, which has been done, as you said, better and better each time. So the plot has been overdone. It's a dumb idea to do with emojis because there's a lot better ideas you can do. Movie 43 takes original sketch comedy and puts it together. Everyone loves sketch comedy. The plot itself is interesting, and they made it to two different fucking versions because it's an interesting way to go about it. I can see it in my time. All right, Jen, now you'll be closing this one out with your uh, final argument. One minute. Uh, there's a phrase in the UK, I'm not sure how international it is, but it's if you throw enough shit, some of it will stick. The plot of Movie 43 is not just the shit that's stuck, it's everything that missed too. It has so many ideas, they had to make two different versions, and both are incredibly dumb. Uh, the Emoji Movie uh, isn't a dumb plot, it's a generic plot framed in something to make it relevant and to grab its target audience. The idea of making an Emoji Movie is stupid but the plot itself isn't what makes the movie dumb. It is generic, but it's something that's been done and done successfully over and over and over again. Whereas movie 43 is just so many ideas crowded into one that they couldn't decide on what to do, which makes it messy. And the ideas behind it, like watching a movie causes an earthquake, that's what makes it dumb. And I can see the rest of my time. All right, judges. Now up to us. Okay, um, Brian, I think you went last last time. Yeah. So you'll go first this time. All right. Um, Joe didn't do his research. Um, because uh, on Letterboxd, where everybody's supposed to have rated low, I have one of the highest ratings on there for movie 43. Uh, I really enjoy the movie. I think it's got a lot of great sketches to it. So when he calls all sketches dumb, it's not really winning points to me. But he's smartly focused on 
the fact the only part of the movie that has a plot is the framework is the thing that connects all the stories and both of those versions are awful they are completely stupid it makes no sense nonsense um mike did a pretty good job of arguing his but uh like joe said i mean it is mike said himself it's it's a good idea that it wasn't executed well that's not it's done better in other movies but it's the idea the basic plot of it itself is okay so i did go with joe as a player and as a judge i really don't like these plot questions i'll be honest with you because um what it is, is a, a plot is a pretty basic thing and there's not a ton to argue about plot and i think you got no fault of your own you had five minutes to feel I think a lot of things came up that really had nothing to do about, about the plot here um, came up. So I had to dig down deep in the little bit that was talked about the, about the plot because, like I said, it's so simple. I did also go with Joe um, just because, um, you know, like Joe said, like the plot, the, the, the bare bones plot to Emoji Movie is a plot that's been done a lot. Um, and it's, 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 it's tried and true. So um, there wasn't. There, it was hard for Mike was fighting up a battle because when it came just to plot, he had a lot of good points against, uh, about more movie 43, but simply focus on the plot, which is what, what was the question was Joe, Joe was spot on, I think with the, with the emoji movie. Um, so Brooklyn, your vote's not going to count. How, how would you go on this one? Uh, yeah, it would have been another, uh, another clean sweep for Joe. Um, I think there was, I think there were some opportunities for Mike to kind of take, take the advantage. Um, but but didn't latch on to like to some certain things that I, that I was looking for. Um, and I also want to, or I guess I never thought I'd have to mention this again, because it used to be like a bad, used to be a bad problem back whenever debate started the community. Cause everybody was like, Oh, the rotten tomato score is lower than this. I just want to remind debaters moving forward that rotten tomatoes is not the be all end all. Um, you'd be surprised at how often that can, that can sway people. All right. Um, so with that, that is a clean sweep, and Joe gets the uh, third and final point. So your winner by knockout is Joe Fairley. Congratulations, Joe. Um, we will talk to uh, both players now. We'll start with Mike. Um, Mike, you had a, a good showing. Um, you got you, you got you got one vote there. Um, you know you 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 brought your game, and um, you know I think you were you know closer than it might have looked. What are your overall thoughts on the performance? I knew I was going to get knocked out, so the real win is for me. Because I guessed it from the beginning. <laughs> yeah, Joe. Did you place a bet on this debate? I just, you know, for debating wise, I just can't get words together like I have in my head. It's my downfall in this type of format. I know it's my downfall. I come here for the laughs, and let me just say, this is my second time where <laughs> sexually harassing women has been brought up. First time with a big dick, so you know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I see you guys up there for <laughs> All right. Well, um, we'll see you again probably. I, I don't know what, if we'll see this season or not, but we do see you again. Is there anybody specific you'd like to take on in a debate match? I'll take on Nazario because that's the one man I can become unwoke. It would be Nazario. Yeah. I think that'd be a good fight. I'd like to see that happen. Hopefully, we, we I don't know if record's going to match up, but maybe we can do an exhibition or something. And um, I think that'll be a lot of fun. Um, so uh, thanks for playing, Mike. Uh, Joe, uh, you improved 2-0 uh, with two knockouts. You Both your wins are knockouts now. Um, coming out of that, what are your, your, your thoughts after having battled, battled Mike? Uh, it was good fun. I, I always I always like being on a stream with Mike because he, he always does bring the entertainment factor like massively. Um, I love Mike because you know not only did he introduce me to Army of Darkness, but he also um, about just over a year ago now uh, made a very um, 
edited a very special video for my wedding, which I played my wedding, which I was always, which I'm very, very grateful for. Um, and yeah, so every time I oh, seem to be on a stream with Mike, something I get, something wonderful seems to happen. And this time it was Army of Darkness, and it was great, and I had a lot of fun with this. Uh, and yeah, I didn't bother going watching the Emoji Movie for this. I just read the plot and went, "Oh, this sounds generic." <laughs> I want, to, um, I want my thoughts of Mike to be happy, so I don't want to think of the Emoji movie. Right <laughs> I want to think of Army of Darkness. Uh, All right. Well, this, yeah. this is going to take you, um, like I said, you're two and two now. Uh, after Mayhem, at some point in the season, you have another match. Uh, your next opponent is going to be Adelaide Spence. Uh, what are your thoughts going into uh, that particular match? Yeah, that's a, that could be a bit of a worry. I think um, Spence is very creative um, with the way they argue, and they also have, I think, a very um, a varied knowledge of movies, uh, different categories and all that sort of stuff. So I think I could be definitely being introduced uh, to something I haven't seen before um, just, just to prep for this. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, but also a little bit nervous because, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, they, they can be very creative with their arguments. All right. Well, we will see that down the line here soon. Thank you both for uh, participating today. And uh, we'll go to final thoughts for the judges. Uh, start with you, Brian. Um, what are your thoughts on that match and that outcome? Uh, well, you know, it's always it's always fun to have Mike around. He he clearly is here just for fun, and he provides exactly that uh, sexual harassment or no. Um, Joe Joe obviously knows his stuff. He's going to go on and, and try and see how he can uh, um, progress in the, in the league. Uh, I will say I'm a little disappointed though that we've deprived the world of a Mike versus Adelaide match because uh, <laughs> Adelaide tends to get very very animated and and kind of that, and Mike knows just how to frustrate people. So that would have been a great matchup. <laughs> Uh, Brooklyn, your final thoughts? Uh, yeah, I, I love seeing love seeing Mike to base. I think honestly, him and Nazario might be like the number one seed in a fan zone teams league, uh, just because of the chemistry that they have and how much they're able to piss everybody off. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Joe's next match in Adelaide is great because Adelaide has like all the things that you love about Mike, but then you have the elements that you get from like Coho, very like heated and can run like a mile mile a minute in terms of like just coming up coming up with random stuff. Um, mm-hmm. so. Uh, just do your stretches and best not to give Spence an opportunity to defend cats. Uh, I've recently, <laughs> I recently caught up with that episode and uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I thought, I think this was a great match. Like you said, Brian, uh, you know, Mike brings, brings his style. I think, you know, he, he said himself, you know, I think he works a little bit, gets his thoughts together. I think, you know, and brings that humor and that kind of like free form that he uses. I think he can be a force in here. Um, Joe, very different style. You know, he brought his kind of just straightforward, chugging along. And um, he won this time. Uh, we'll see how that works against Spence because, again, it is two very different uh, styles going to go up against shows. So that'd be exciting. Like I said, that'll be after Mayhem, which is next week. So be sure to turn into that. Um, I will be defending my title against either uh, Cody or uh, Kasner. So I, that by the time you watch this, that match will probably already air. So if you haven't watched it yet, go back and watch that to see who I want to defend the belt against. Be a lot of other great matches. So be sure to tune into that. Until then, uh, thank you to everybody. Brian, thank you for uh, judging. Brooklyn, thank you for judging, running the stream, doing the time. Thank you to Mike. Thank you for Joe for participating. Uh, Tim, thank you for having me. And uh, until next time, have a good time, everybody. Good night. No. There we go. Thank you very much. Please come again. We have a lot more groceries.